Are you ready? Yeah! Are you ready? I'm not that ready. Not ready at all. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Today I am a little scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. With you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. I heard from her today. She's doing well. We love you, Nicole. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker. An all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com says me. Welcome to the Bradcast. Uh, coming up in a little bit, You that voice you heard was Desi Doyen. How are you today, Des? I'm good. How are you? Very good. We will come back to you and the, uh, the Green News Report a little bit later, our latest Green News Report. As President Obama urges climate action uh, from Tahoe to Hawaii to Midway to China, and beyond, uh, as uh, even as two rare hurricanes bear down on Hawaii, where the president is is headed now, is well, he there already? By I, yeah, yeah. I, I would have to check at this point where yeah. he is. He's all over the place. Um, so we'll have that. And another hurricane, by the way, uh, is now threatening the U.S. Uh, Her- Hermine? How do we say this Hermine. one? Hermine. 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 Uh, Hurricane Hermine uh, is... They're running out of names. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that's about to uh, make landfall, I think, within the next few hours in the panhandle of Florida. Then it will work its way up. It is predicted up the eastern seaboard over the next several days. So... A lot of storms out there, uh, but speaking of storms, uh, we've got one right here in our own country, uh, Hurricane Donald. Man, in a whirlwind and confusing blizzard of Donald Trumpery on Wednesday, the GOP nominee for president flew down to Mexico to meet with President Enrique Peña Nieto in the afternoon, where he said in a presidential-looking joint press conference afterwards that he... And Peña Nieto, quote, didn't discuss who pays for the wall, referring to his campaign promise to build a big, beautiful wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. But Peña Nieto took to Twitter shortly thereafter and in a tweet in Spanish posted about an hour after the press conference wrote, quote, at the beginning of the conversation with Donald Trump, I made it clear that Mexico will not pay for the wall. 
Nonetheless, the U.S. corporate media was left gushing about the fact that Trump didn't either pass out or punch the Mexican president in the face uh, and began reporting that Trump's pivot to being a mature candidate had finally arrived. Then, by nightfall, things changed. Trump arrived in Phoenix, Arizona, where he gave what was advertised as a major policy speech on immigration, and it was, I suppose, but it also had all the trappings of a mass rally that left Josh Marshall at uh, Talking Points Memo to write, Watching this speech compared to the press conference today in Mexico City, what kept coming to my mind was the contrast between Hitler's uniformed rally speeches from the hustings and the suited statesman Hitler we see in the old newsreels in Munich and at other iconic moments in the late 1930s. Now, I should note here, uh, Josh Marshall is not one to play the Hitler card lightly, so keep that in mind. He goes on to write that Hitler's crimes, of course, are incomparable, but more than anything, perhaps the most chilling part of this day is the contrast between the two men, a measured, calm statesman we saw this afternoon and this railing, angry demagogue figure who captured the emotional tenor of a Klan rally. The ability to shift from one persona to the other is a sign of danger in itself. The debate about immigration has become so polarized that it can be difficult to remember that there are reasonable policy questions to be debated and wrestled with over the terms, the scope, and the numbers of immigrants that the country should absorb at any one time. But what we saw tonight, referring to the speech in Phoenix, isn't a tense version of that debate. It really has nothing to do with that debate at all. This, he says, is a blood-soaked white national nationalist politics that has caught fire with a significant minority of the electorate. There's no reason to imagine that changes before November, and I think we'll be with it for some time after as well. I agree. It went over very well in any event with Trump supporters. Infamous GOP superstar and nativist Ann Coulter, for example, declared on Twitter just after the speech, quote, I hear Churchill had a nice turn of phrase, but Trump's immigration speech is the most magnificent speech ever given. But of course, folks like Coulter, they were already all in for Trump. So uh, what was this speech and the meeting with Peña Nieto really meant to do? What was it about? I have no idea in truth. And when I have no idea how to make sense of the senseless, uh, sometimes I need to call our friend Heather Digby Parton to help me out. No pressure, Heather. Heather, of course, is uh, known simply as Digby to many longtime progressive blog readers online. She's the creator of the infamous Hullabaloo blog and now a regular contributor at Salon.com and a Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism. Hey, Heather, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me, Brad. Boy, I hope you have more answers than I do after watching what happened yesterday, uh, because, well, uh, OK, here, let, let me just start it off with what I will call an easy one. Uh, what was that visit to Mexico and then that speech really about? <laughs> you yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll go get a sandwich while you talk. Go right ahead, please. Well, actually, it's 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 a little bit more interesting than I think people realize, because, um you know, obviously, we've been listening for the past couple of weeks. Ever since Trump did his big, uh, you know, uh, you know, he fired Paul Manafort, mm -hmm. his previous campaign chairman, 
and hired Steve Bannon from Breitbart and Kellyanne Conway, a longtime uh, Republican pollster, mm-hmm. to be his campaign manager. This was supposed to be kind of a, you know, a rejiggering of his campaign to get a little bit more serious and perhaps, you know, fix it mm-hmm. because he was, he had been, uh, flailing a bit after his convention. So, we have been watching and listening to endless, uh, pundits and various strategists and surrogates talk about the pivot. That's what they call it, that mm-hmm. Trump was going to pivot to something more reasonable. And in fact, he's done something of a pivot. He has stopped uh, his long rambling um, rallies and instead taken, he had, now has an actual stump speech that he gives, and he gives it via teleprompter, just like that awful Barack Obama and that <laughs> lazy, right. um, you know, lacking in stamina Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he, he has done some changes, and, and, and he has been doing this thing where he goes to white audiences and various inexplicably in various places around the country where there's no hope of him winning or losing. He's not going to any battlegrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, you know, the plight of the inner city and how he cares about African Americans and how he's going to help them. And he says, what do you have to lose? So that's the background that, um, it, you know, that sort of gives you the context for this speech, which was sold to us as another iteration of the pivot where he was going to do what they called a softening of his formerly hardline position on immigration. Mm -hmm. And they'd been telegraphing this for for several, you know, for a couple of weeks, that he was going to give this speech, then they canceled it, they did it again. And then on Tuesday, in the evening, we get this news that he's going to Mexico to meet with the president, and then he's going to fly up to Arizona and give his big policy speech, and everybody's going, oh, what the heck is this all about? And uh, that's, of course, what he ended up doing. But it's interesting. There's a further backstory on this that I haven't seen many people talk about, but it's to me it's interesting anyway, that this trip to Mexico, which was sold to us as an invitation from the president of Mexico to both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, a sort mm-hmm. of pro forma uh, extension of a, you know, mm-hmm. an invitation for both of them to come, was actually set up by the Trump campaign. Kelly O'Donnell of MSNBC says they'd been working on this for a couple of weeks, that Jared Kushner, who is, is uh, Trump's son-in-law, married to Ivanka Trump, mm-hmm. um, had felt that it was important to show Trump in some kind of statesmanlike environment uh, and that going to Mexico would be great for the pivot and show him being, you know, being a, a world leader. And so he's the, they're the ones who set this up. And then Mexico, in turn, invited Hillary Clinton out of a sense of just protocol. You can't right. just invite one guy. You exactly. Know, the Republican. Right. So it was actually the Trump campaign that set that up, and the the scuttlebutt, which I had heard all over Twitter. In fact, Robert Costa from Washington Post had posted a couple of tweets and then removed them. I still don't know why, but I saw the tweets, and they said that the Bannon Sessions Ailes um, faction within the Trump campaign. Right. There are three. There's the Kellyanne Conway. Let's. You know, let's soften things soften, up for the right. for the women. Then there's the um, the family faction who are just you know anything we can do to help Daddy you know maintain our brand so that we've got a future. Right. And then you've got this hardline faction, which is Ailes and uh, and Session Jeff mm-hmm. Session, senator from from Alabama, and then uh, Steve Bannon, Steve the guy Bannon. from from Breitbart. 
So Voter uh, registration uh, fraud criminal Steve Bannon. But press right. on. Go ahead. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes we, should be, we should put that in every time we mention Correct. Steve Bannon. Correct, yes. For sure. Um, anyway, he, the, the, the Robert Costa and others online on Tuesday night when this whole thing was announced presented this as a sign that the hardline faction had won out, which I found very confusing. It didn't make any sense to me. But when Kelly O'Donnell finally wrote the piece after the fact, she put in there that Trump had been very reluctant to go to Mexico. He didn't want to go meet the president, but he agreed to do it only if he was allowed to give the speech he wanted in Arizona, ah. which means that all this discussion that's been going on about softening and hardening and whatever else, uh, it, it, in the end, it was Trump himself who really wanted to give that speech that he ended up get, giving. And, and, so, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, anyway, just to, to wind up that whole kind of background on mm-hmm. <laughs> what, ha- what was going on prior right. to getting right. there, we ended up with this very strange sort of, you know, two parallel storylines that were being fed to the press all day yesterday. One, Trump, the statesman who went to Mexico and he'd managed not to vomit or talk about his hands or, you know, whatever. Right. And, you know, he, did, as you said, he didn't punch the president of Mexico in the face. Right. So it was a great success. Yes. Huge, wonderful. It's terrific. Look at the pivot. It's just so wonderful. Then he goes to, to, to Arizona last night and basically leads a Nuremberg rally. Yeah. Uh, and I'm with Josh Marshall on this all the way, by the way. This was, this, I've watched a lot of speeches, as you know, a lot mm-hmm. of Trump speeches, as you know. I, I, part of my job, unfortunately, is having to do that. Mm-hmm. This was one of the worst. It, it was a prepared speech. He wasn't just rambling. This was stuff he intentionally said, and he delivered it with more passion and sincerity than any prepared speech I've seen him give. This one, he meant it, and it was an ugly, ugly, ugly speech. So that's what we ended up with, two storylines, two different things. One, apparently the family, you know, wanting him to look like a statesman, and then, boom, he goes to Arizona and basically just, you know, delivered a Hitler speech. Really, and, and, you know, there's such a thing as the, what is it, the Godwin's Law, that, you know, the first person to use Hitler in an analogy uh, loses because it's just so easy, but... Uh, I got to tell you, you're right on on this and how chilling it was. You know, I didn't get to watch it live when the, the speech came out. So I uh, I watched it late last night. And before watching it, I had seen all of these comments on Twitter, many from the usual uh uh, you know, the usual suspects, you know, saying, oh, this is terrifying. Oh, this is chilling watching. And I sort of thought, OK, that's what they always say mm-hmm. when they're watching Trump. You know, oh, we're scared about what this means and so forth. I got to tell you, I'm with you. And I guess with Josh Marshall watching this thing, it was the first time I think I've watched him in a in a speech in one of these rallies or any any of the debates and so forth where it really was chilling. Uh, it, it was creepy. It was like a, a Nuremberg rally in, in many regards. And yet that dichotomy you talk about, uh, you know, the thing that happened in the afternoon in Mexico versus what we saw at night, um, that thing in the afternoon, it did work. Uh, the, the Times, the New York Times, for example, I mean, this is a matter of them trying to play the media, it seems, and it worked. The New York Times had to completely rewrite uh, the lead of, of one of their stories um, 
you know, where they were basically gushing over this fantastic gamble that uh, Donald Trump had made and going to meet the president of Mexico and how well that worked. And uh, they had to completely they put it out there and they got so much criticism about it, how they were gushing for Trump that they had to completely rewrite the thing. But. The job was done. The you know the the Trump camp had already sent it out to their supporters. The uh, Star Telegram had put it on their front page uh, down in Texas. Had put that New York Times story on on their front page with the headline: "Trump drops deportation plan, still vows to build wall." Now, if you watch that speech. Uh, you know, and I, I got a lot of questions here that I want to get to that aren't fact checking related because I think there's enough people to do that. But he is not dropping his deportation plan. No, uh, he's talking. Did you understand this the same way about deporting millions uh, anywhere from two to six million at the at a minimum, uh, you know, of undocumented immigrants as he sees it? Um, almost immediately upon taking office, as he describes it. Is that how you understand that? Because if that's a softening, God help us, you know, when we find out what the hardening actually is. Uh, well, yeah, no, there's there's no doubt. And, and if anyone has any question about that, there are plenty, of, there are, as you say, a bunch of fact checks mm-hmm. who went through all, the whole speech to kind of, you know, determine the specifics of what he was saying in his, quote, plan. And it's quite clear that the deportation plan is still uh, very much in play. He claims that, you know, any immigrant, any undocumented immigrant is subject to deportation. And until we solve the problem of all illegal immigration. We build the wall up to up to heaven, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be a big, beautiful, tall, physical wall, he said, with uh, underground and overground sensors mm-hmm. and towers on it and, you know, low-flying aircraft. I mean, mm-hmm. he had quite a... He went into details about his big, beautiful wall. Once that's built... And with, there is zero any any kind of cross border immigration unauthorized cross border immigration. Once that happens, then he promises that maybe sort of he might look into something to be done for any immigrants who might be here. That no you know no path to citizenship of course mm-hmm. no nothing about any kind of. of legal status but maybe i don't know he'll he'll decide that there might be something that can be done mm-hmm. it is to completely impractical he has no sense of doing that and in the meantime he was promoting the idea that anyone in the country who is here uh, who is undocumented will be subject to a massive new force of border patrol ice agents whatever his his deportation task force it's no longer um, a deportation force. It's now a deportation task, task force. force. So it's right. totally, he's totally, totally softened. Pivoted. Yes. Yeah, totally pivoted. Yeah, totally pivoted on that. Completely different. He's softened. Let's all sing Kumbaya and but, it's, it's done. But, I mean, clearly, this, he, he and, and, you know, I just want to say one more thing about yeah. this. The idea, people went through that speech, kind of parsing it, trying to figure out what his actual plan was. And he had ten points in the plan. Right. Everybody was very impressed by that, and it supposedly meant something. But... You didn't have to hear the points in the plan. The man spent an hour and 15 minutes vilifying, absolutely vilifying, uh, you know, quote, criminal 
aliens, mm -hmm. and also non-criminal aliens. He was going on and on and on about how these people are parasites on the system. They're stealing jobs from deserving Americans. Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton, all she has is she has compassion for these people, and he's got compassion for real Americans. I mean, that was he was absolutely placing immigrants and frankly, legal as well as illegal, when you delve down into his speech, mm -hmm. let's just call them what it is, foreigners, mm -hmm. he was casting them as un-American parasites on the American system, and that he was saying that they are the reason for whatever uh, distress, both cultural and economic, that real Americans are feeling. There is no doubt about it. You didn't have to read the details to get what he was saying. Does there. that work? Does that, does that, which kind of brings me back to what I was asking at the beginning. Does that, who is he trying to appeal to? In other words, it seems like he's got all of those folks. He's got the, you know, the, the nativists, uh, you know, already on board with his campaign. So, what is that about? What what does that get him going on for an hour and 15 minutes, uh, you know, with these immigrants are terrible. They're bringing down the country. Interestingly enough, by the way, uh, uh, Heather, our country, if you listen to that speech last night, our country is a disaster and we are very, very proud of it. So mm -hmm. it's hard to make sense of that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so so what's the point is, is does he believe and is it true? Are there enough people out there that if he gets them riled up enough, they will show up in large enough numbers that it can actually move the needle? It can actually change the results of this election. Is it a winning well, strategy in that sense? It's it's not in in the real world. I mean, you're right. He does, you know, he has already got that following. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, in fact, Corey Lewandowski, his former campaign manager, who is also his, you know, works as an advisor and as a, uh, you know, as a pundit on CNN. So mm -hmm. he's double dipping there on, on that. Right. He was on CNN last night saying that basically Trump was trying to, quote, lock down the white guy vote. Uh, you know, I, I thought he had that locked uh, exactly. down, but apparently uh, there is some thought that he needed to do it. Now, you know, I think what the assumption there is, I don't think anybody who knows anything about politics thinks that that was a smart thing to do with Trump, where he is currently in the polls, what he needs to do to, you know, attract a few more uh, voters to try and, and, and mm -hmm. beat Hillary Clinton. I think anybody who knows anything about politics knows that what he did last night was not going to get that done. But I really think this is about Trump's psychology, which is why I found it so interesting that it turns out that he was the guy who made the decision and said, no, I'm going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. I think Trump is truly convinced that he's a genius. I think he believes that he defies all the odds, that you know, his, everything in his life he survived by hook or by crook, heavy mm -hmm. emphasis on the word crook. <laughs> um, and he has, you know, I think, and, and his win in the primary, I think he sees as some kind of, you know, almost divine uh, sort of intervention that sort of has made him something special, that, you know, that he is redefining how to win in politics in his own mind. So I think, I don't think you can make sense of it in terms of what we think, what anybody 
you know, in politics would normally think. But I think in his mind that does make sense. He just needs to get out there. There are he he can persuade people by the sheer force of his personality that what he's saying is correct and mm-hmm. and people who don't currently agree with him will be persuaded now the truth is yeah. that there is a theory out there which was uh propagated during the 2012 after the 2012 campaign that by i think it was by Sean Trent who's a pollster and analyst um for real clear politics that the notion that the Republicans needed to expand their base beyond this white, uh, you know, non-college-educated, blue-collar group that is following Trump and often follows the Tea Party and other, you know, the mm-hmm. right, essentially, that they didn't really need to try to attract um, African Americans or Latino voters mm-hmm. or younger women or any of the things that the so-called autopsy after 2012 said they needed to do. He the had a Republican, The Republican study of right. what went wrong in the uh, with the Romney campaign. Right, yeah. and, and their view was they just looked at the demographic trends and said, look, you know, we're going to keep losing if we don't fig- figure out how to attract some of these people. Right. And um, Sean Tran said that this was wrong, that there was another way to look at it, and that was that if you boosted the white vote mm-hmm. so strongly that you got you got a, a turnout of massive numbers of white people who many of whom don't normally vote mm-hmm. um, that you could win and, and theoretically it's true I mean the country still is you know majority white and uh, suppose if you got every single white person in the country to vote for you you, you could still win right. but the problem is is that you know I mean I don't know you and I are both white and we wouldn't vote for I mean I'd go to the you know the FEMA camp before I'd vote for Trump um, there are a lot of us out there, um, many white people, and up until this election, many of the white people that would have had to come out and vote for Trump are college-educated white people, and he's losing them in droves, especially women, but men too. But we're so, talking. But but you know, in a lot of states, uh, turnout, even in presidential elections, is only about sixty percent, uh, anywhere from you know sixty to eighty percent on the high end. There are a lot of voters who do not tend to come out and vote. Uh, and, and I think uh, I think the theory is correct in one sense, that that seems to be who he is, who he is playing to. If he can uh, increase those numbers, if he can get those people out, those people who don't normally come out. And, I, I you know, I think a case can be made that... Um, we're seeing the polls already tightening. We, he mentioned that last night during his speech, and I think he's correct. They are. It is at least tightening uh, nationally and in some of the uh, key states. He's got a long way to go. But, uh, you know, I think an argument can be made that Trump in one sense is winning this debate, this uh, contest, this campaign, in that he is controlling the conversation. He did this during the, the primary election. He's doing so now. You know, Heather uh, Digby Parton, we are here talking about his speech. We are talking about uh, immigration today because of that speech. Hillary Clinton, she spoke about something yesterday, I think, at a rally somewhere. But I'll be damned if I know what it was (laughs) and what she was talking about. And doesn't uh, dominating the cycle, dominating the, the campaign the way he did in the primary and the way he seems to be doing now, 
does that doesn't that count for something as far as uh, uh, you know vote turnout at the end or or no does it ultimately not really matter well i think it would matter if he had an actual ground game and a turnout machine which mm. he doesn't okay <laughs> you know he has spent absolutely you know no time thought or money on building the kind of campaign that you need especially to get those kind of voters out now he thinks Apparently, Trump seems to think that, that everybody in the country is watching CNN 24-7, like he is, or nice. you are, or I am. Right. But, you know, that is not actually correct. To get those non-voters out, um, it would take him, first of all, transcending the CNN, um, you know, wall there, or, or Fox News, or MSNBC, mm -hmm. or whatever, the cable news wall and it would also and which he had a, a way of doing i mean of course when you and i first saw him that day when you and i talked and he came down the escalator mm -hmm. and we both went oh yeah this is scary uh because because of that fact that he what he had a persona uh a, a television you know he was a, a real uh celebrity in the sense that transcended politics mm -hmm. um and so we, we did start off with that. Well, we knew that it was scary, not because, oh, he's a demagogue, he's terrible, but because we knew that he was tapping into right. that Fox News brain that I guess we now call it the alt-right. It used to be the Tea Party, then it became the Freedom Caucus, now it's the alt-right. I mean, that he was tapping into what Fox News has been uh, selling for so long, he was the very you know embodiment of that, and and it worked, and it worked in the primary, and I think I well maybe I just fear, but I fear that there are a lot more people with whom it works. You know, when a story runs on Fox News, the you don't have to be one of those CNN watchers you're talking about, Heather, who you know just w watches cable news all day. When Fox breaks a story even if it's a BS story, it seems like the country ends up knowing about it. It pervades, uh, you know, the media, no matter what kind of nonsense it is. It, it pervades across the entire non wingnut media uh, and it gets into the fiber of the American uh, psyche, it seems to me. Donald Trump is putting himself right into that psyche. And I don't know, and I think nobody knows how that actually translates on Election Day. You can have people right now tell pollsters, oh, I, I'd never vote for that guy because they're too embarrassed to uh, you know, admit that they would. But come Election Day, things can be a lot different. Uh, Heather, let me ask you this. I, I was, uh, can, can you stick with me for just a few more sure. minutes here? I'll take a quick sure. break. All right, let me take a quick break, and I'll, uh, we'll come back with Heather Digby-Parton because um, I got some I got some theories that have been going swimming around in my brain that I want to ask you about, Heather, and get your thoughts on them on this whole mess. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back more with Heather Digby Parton of Hullabaloo and Salon.com right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by Bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time only contribution. 
While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'm uh, joined by my guest, Heather Digby Parton, the great Digby from Hullabaloo and Salon.com, talking about uh, wherever the hell we are on this uh, this latest Trump mess uh, as we get ready to head into a holiday weekend. Um, let's see. I want to, before I, I got some questions for you, Heather, but let me play because I haven't even played. If, if people didn't hear this speech and how creepy it was in truth, uh, Trump's speech last night in Phoenix, Arizona on immigration, let me just play a quick minute or so just to give you a sense of this. He gave a 10 point plan uh, of what would, what will now be his immigration policy. And frankly, it is almost identical to what he has been, uh, uh, declaring throughout the primary season. Uh, this is, I think, number three, uh, zero tolerance for criminal aliens, just to give you a, a quick idea of what it sounded like on Wednesday night in Phoenix, Arizona. Number three, this is the one I think it's so great. It's hard to believe people don't even talk about it. Zero tolerance for criminal aliens. Zero. 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 We don't, they don't come in here. They don't come in here. According to federal data, there are at least two million, two million, think of it, criminal aliens now inside of our country. Two million people, criminal aliens. We will begin moving them out day one, as soon as I take office, day one. In joint operation with local, state, and federal law enforcement. Now, just so you understand, the police, who we all respect, say hello to the police. Boy, they don't get the credit they deserve, I can tell you. They're great people. But the police and law enforcement, they know who these people are. They live with these people. They get mocked by these people. They can't do anything about these people, and they want to. They know who these people are. Day one, my first hour in office, those people are gone. Uh, it got, you know, creepier and creepier as long as it went. Um, Heather, I've got some uh, some theories I've been working on. They loved this speech uh, in Phoenix last night. It seems like he could have said anything uh, and and they would have eaten it up, whether it was, uh, you know, keep all of the uh, illegals here or send them away. I, I feel like they would have. Do, did you have you ever seen uh, Heather? Um Charlie Chaplin's film, The Great Dictator. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. 
One of my favorites. And uh, for people who don't know it, uh, Chaplin plays two different characters. He plays the the, the poor Jewish uh, barber in the ghetto, and he plays this Hitler-like character. Uh, and, and, of course, they both end up looking alike, and there is some confusion. The Hitler-like character actually gets confused with the Jewish barber, and the Jewish barber, they put him into this big rally uh, at the end. And, you know, he, he does the, the Hitler-like uh, speech full of hatred and so forth and then he pivots as it were to a different uh type of thinking where he's you know saying the world you know look up we can work together we can all you know make this place uh, this world a better place and he says it with the same sort of passion uh and fury that uh, the hitler character had and the people went with it. They loved it. They loved it as much as the hatred. I, my sense that it, one of the theories I've been thinking about, people love a leader. They don't actually care what the leader says. They don't actually care what Donald Trump's policies actually are, but he's selling it with passion. And uh, so help me out here. Uh, do, do you have a sense that, you know, it didn't really matter what the policy is? It doesn't really matter what Donald Trump's policies are. It's not about the actual, uh, you know, mechanics of his immigration speech. It is about the fact that the people who support him believe that he is with them. It doesn't actually matter what he says. They're going to go with him no matter what he says. Can you make any sense of my uh, half-baked theory there? <laughs> well, I, I think that's. I think it's at least partially true, and we have some evidence for it. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, he's been making these... Uh, he's He's got a new stump speech, and in the stump speech he's talking about his love for the african-american community mm -hmm. now this is a guy who in reality uh... you know back in the seventies when it when he first came to attend the attention of the news media back in the seventies for he and his father for um... Mm -hmm. uh, refusing to uh, for a department of justice investigation into the fact that he and his father had refused to to rent or sell to welfare recipients Right. Um, and in, in particular, he used a, the letter C uh, to stand for, I assume, colored uh, on the applications, and they found this out. And then, of course, in the 80s, he did the famous uh, Central Park Five full-page ad he took out in the newspaper uh, in which he said, you know, bring back the death penalty, bring back the police, and basically said that, you know, we need to take the gloves off because these mm -hmm. five young African-Americans... Uh, deserve the death penalty, of course, as we all know. Later on, it turned out that they were innocent. Actually, and, most um, people don't know that. But yeah, we've spent time. They were completely innocent. These kids were thrown in jail. Donald Trump would have killed them, took out an ad to do that. Uh, and in fact, uh, Senator Jeff Sessions, one of his big supporters, is still lauding him today for having done that. Yeah. As if there was a, this was a great thing in New York City. Yep. You don't see many people doing this. Well, I'm glad they're not doing it because we would have killed five innocent kids. Anyway, I... Yeah, and, and needless to say, I mean, Trump, when the mm -hmm. city settled with the, uh, with the five a couple of... just in 2014 right. and Trump took uh, Trump wrote an op-ed bemoaning the fact that the city wasted all their money by settling with these people because they weren't angels you know i mean they were kids when this first happened but yes. of course you know this was back in 1988 you know on and on and on and uh, you know it's obvious what 
Donald Trump really is and his the comments he's made about mm-hmm. Baltimore and Ferguson and unleashing the police and the police have to you know the stuff he said at his rallies and, and about Black Lives Matter and there's just no way that this guy is anything but what he what he obviously is which is he's kind of, he's a throwback uh, racist sorry yeah. that's what he is and yeah. I, I can't think of a better word to describe him mm-hmm. however in the last couple of weeks he's gone you know, to various places, spoken to these white audiences that are his. He hasn't yet had the nerve to appear before black people and say these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has said it in front of white people, say, trying to, to um, telegraph a message of, you know, caring and sharing and really wanting to do what's right for the African American. And he even says, what the hell do you have to lose by voting for me? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think most African Americans, <laughs> I think he's getting like 1% of the African American vote, if that, and they're all on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, every last Trump, black Trump voter is on television. Is on um, his staff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that he's got every one of those. Right. You know? um, but there, you know, these, this this notion that he's doing this, and I mean, everybody in politics knows what he's doing. He's saying this to white people who are uncomfortable with his blatant racism and trying to pretend. However, getting back to your point, they at the rallies, they all cheer this stuff. They cheer him when he says it. It's not like, you know, they're all going, boo, how dare you. They're not turning away and going, damn him, he's betrayed us. Now, I have heard reports from people who were at the rallies that there is murmuring among them, among his, his faithful who say, what the, you know, what's he talking about this for? But they don't care. And I honestly don't think any, they care about anything at this point. I mean, I think there was a time, and I guess the reason why I'm a little divided on your thesis is mm-hmm. because I think in the beginning, I think it would have made a difference if his policies had been uh, non-racist. I don't think people would have just gone with him. At, you know, this, I, I should say, I don't think the same people would have been uh, attracted to him if he'd have been out there giving this caring and sharing speech about African Americans. Well, they might not have early on, but let me uh, cite this uh, woman over at Salon.com today. Her name is Heather Digby Parton. Oh, she's terrible. I know, no, no. I I can't believe believe you're quoting that ad. (laughs) She's very, very good, and uh, she's got an article today about uh, Donald Trump's uh, visa problem and the fact that he had been, and I guess uh, this modeling agency of his is still... I guess is still up and operational. Uh, I think so. Trump yeah. modeling, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, w- where he was bringing in people illegally um, uh, to work as, uh, as a model, uh, as models, and, and was telling them, you know, to lie to, uh, to customs officials about their, uh, uh, their, their visa process and so forth. Um, it kind of seems like they got him dead to right with dead to rights with all, you know, a bunch of different people who work for this agency saying that Donald Trump uh, and this agency instructed us how to break the law, how to essentially break the immigration laws. Uh, you got a great piece about it that I would recommend over at Salon.com, but I cite it by way of saying I don't think it will matter. I don't think no matter what he does, what he did, no matter how contradictory he is on any of these ideas, ultimately, none of it seems to matter. And it's something that, you know, a lot of folks noticed during the primary, you know, folks like Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, no matter uh, how contradictory uh, Trump's positions were on any particular thing. None of it matters. He's tapped into something else in this uh, nation, which I think is 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 scary and is creepy and is dangerous. But 
you know, ultimately it's about uh, people want a leader. They want somebody who they think is, you know, believes what they believe. And it doesn't actually matter whether he does or not. I don't know if I'm uh, making this point well, but I, I think there's uh, something there. And, and I think in one respect, uh, your, your story shows it. I mean, n- y- great story. Uh, and I know it was uh, originally came from who was it? Mother Jones Mother had Jones. written about this. Yeah. And they did a great report on it. It won't matter. It won't move the needle one iota. A story that, as I think you cited, might kill any other campaign. This will this will be nothing. Well, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I, this story will. Go, it, well, it has gone nowhere, and and there are you know other reasons for that aside from the fact that Trump's uh, followers really don't care. I mean, if they cared, look, there there have been the stories of what he did in Atlantic City mm-hmm. to working people, mm-hmm. to actual you know peak construction workers and mm-hmm. electricians, and you know I mean that's just if you can't if his followers don't identify with those folks, then it makes abs- then there's nothing that they will identify with that could possibly hurt him mm-hmm. because he cheated people out of massive amounts of money. These stories came out; they were there in great detail. I mean, you know, in this sense, the press did its job for once. I mean, they actually went and delved into this stuff. And Trump was an absolute, I mean, he was the worst cartoon-level, you know, rich exploiter mm-hmm. you could possibly imagine, and nobody cared. And they, they didn't care. care. Yep. No, they and didn't care. They said, well, you know, he's, he's making money. He's doing what a guy's got to do. He, if he wasn't smart, he wouldn't be as rich as he is, and blah, blah, blah. And the, the fact that he is a blatant crook, and he is a blatant crook. Yep. There's no doubt about it. The guy is a, you know, I mean, he likes yeah. to call Hillary Clinton a criminal. Well, you know, it takes one to know one, because he actually <laughs> is one. And, you know, this is, the, it doesn't matter. And, I, you know, I'm not sure about, you know, I agree with you to the extent that I, I think that that is exactly the phenomenon, how it plays itself out. I am just not entirely sure that it's because he's a leader, uh, so much as you know, I mean, there's this there's this tremendous well, backlash against political correctness, and I think he kind of embodies that, and I think that plays an important part. They don't care what he says; it's the attitude with which he says it. Let me th- let me toss one last, and I know we're running late, Desi, so uh, we'll we'll figure this out. But I got uh, one <laughs> last uh, half baked theory I'd like to share with you, and I'll have to get a, a quick opinion from you on it, uh, Heather. Um, a lot of questions about why Trump is campaigning in, you know, Washington state where he'll almost certainly lose or Texas and Mississippi where he'll almost certainly win. Why is he uh, spending time on those states rather than working in, in swing states? Uh, theory I've been uh, developing. I think he would like to win the popular vote. Uh, he'd like to get as many votes as possible, even if it's in a state like Washington, which he'll, where he'll never win, or, or Texas or Mississippi, where he was going to win anyway. But if he can goose the popular vote, if he can win the popular vote and lose the electoral vote, that way he can then go around for the rest of his life saying he's the most popular candidate in the country and uh, and 
the benefit is he doesn't actually have to be president, which I think he has no actual interest in being. And the cherry on top is that he gets to say, see, I told you it was rigged. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got the most votes and I'm not elected. I think that's why he's interested in all of these states uh, that don't really that aren't swing states that aren't going to have. He wants to win the popular vote and lose the electoral vote. That's, that's my that's theory. The first, that's the first thing anybody said that makes sense to me about that i think you thank you very much heather Dibby parton (laughs) that's uh (laughs) that's all i need no no go go ahead (laughs) no i just that makes perfect sense to me that that would that is the only thing that i could think of that 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 would make anyone do what he's done and i could also see by the way a guy like roger ailes who is you know now that Mm -hmm. he's been disgraced for his uh rampant sexual harassment and abuse of women uh of course going to the trump campaign where he feels at home um he is advising trump and i could easily see him saying look this is this is what you need to do get the popular vote up and you know we'll say the election's been rigged you win the popular vote, and then, you know, let's see what we can do to make that happen. I would absolutely, I could absolutely see Roger Ailes doing it. And I think probably in the back of Trump's mind, it's exactly what you say, yep. which is that he doesn't have to be president. Right, yeah. I mean, it's boring, right? I mean, yeah. does this guy really want to do that boring job? No. Be Stand m- next to the Mexican president like he's, you know, about to fall asleep? No, <laughs> no. Then he can be a like victim. That. He can be a victim for the rest of his life. Absolutely. I won all the and votes. And a hero. Yeah, and a hero. All right, Heather Digby Parton, I got to get out. Always great to talk to you. However, uh, thank you for joining me and for a uh, second uh, second helping, a second segment today. <laughs> oh, my Greatly pleasure. Appreciated. It was fun. Check out her work, of course, at digbysblog.blogspot. Dot com and of course on uh, at salon.com and on the twitters at digby56 thanks digby have a great holiday you too talk to you guys later great all right a quick break and we're back with more bradcast right after this i'm brad friedman stay tuned <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. So true. Yes. Sadly, but true. Uh, We're going to uh, take a a day or two off for the holiday coming up, but we have uh, one more thing to do before we go. It is our latest Green News Report. There is no contradiction between being smart on the environment and having a strong economy, and we got to keep it going. President Obama urges climate action from Tahoe to Hawaii to Midway to his final presidential trip to Asia. Not one, but two rare hurricanes threaten Hawaii as Obama visits. Plus, global insurance industry tells G20 to kick away the carbon crutches. All of those stories and more straight ahead. 
from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This is still a pristine wonder. Pristine? That, of course, was Jerry Brown, governor of California. And this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I guess the big question today is, uh, what will arrive in Hawaii first, a hurricane or President Obama? (laughs) Yes, as we go to air before the holiday, not one, but two rare hurricanes are headed for the big island of Hawaii. Hawaii didn't used to get hurricanes, so if either Hurricane Madeline or Hurricane Lester makes landfall, it will be the first confirmed hurricane to hit the big island of Hawaii since reliable records began in 1949. Now, the storms aren't expected to affect President Obama's visit to Oahu further west, but it underlines the message of his speech, the urgent need to address climate change. Hurricane Lester Yeah. Lester? Yeah. That doesn't sound very scary. But before Hawaii and before his trip to the G20 summit in China, President Obama stopped over at the 20th annual Lake Tahoe Summit on the California-Nevada border on Wednesday. Hello, Tahoe! This is really nice. I will be coming here more often. The president's visit was meant to highlight how two decades of dedicated conservation efforts have succeeded in cleaning up and restoring Tahoe's famously clear waters, even as its economy grew. The challenges of conservation and combating climate change are connected. When most of the 4.5 million people who come to Lake Tahoe every year are tourists, economies like this one live or die by the health of our natural resources. And we've proven that the choice between our environment, our economy, and our health is a false one. We've got to strengthen all of them together. Lake Tahoe is one of the oldest and purest lakes in the world, but its ecosystem is in trouble due to global warming and the pressures of human development and pollution. Obama announced additional federal funding for restoration and cleanup of the Tahoe watershed to help manage forest fire risk amid historic drought and help Tahoe manage growth alongside conservation for future generations. Hurricane Lester? (laughs) Yes. Climate change is also the central theme throughout Obama's final presidential trip to Asia, starting with the Pacific Leaders Conservation Summit in Hawaii and also in an unusual first ever presidential visit to Midway Atoll, the site of the Battle of Midway in World War II, where he'll focus on rising sea levels, which have already doomed some small Pacific Island nations. Then he heads to China for the G20 summit. At that summit, he will reportedly formally enter the United States into the historic United Nations Paris Agreement, the International Climate Accord, to keep global temperatures from rising more than two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. And he will pressure his fellow world leaders to do the same. Of course, most of those world leaders have already gone along with this, have they not? Except for China, which says they do plan to sign it this year. Well, and that's more than uh, we seem to be able to say because our Congress won't even discuss the matter. And the global insurance industry is also pushing on climate change. In a blunt statement to the G20 in advance of the summit in China, some of the biggest insurance companies in the world, managing more than $1 trillion in assets, urged G20 leaders to phase out fossil fuel subsidies by 2020. 
In a statement, the insurers said, quote, climate change is the mother of all risks, and that risk is magnified by the way in which fossil fuel subsidies distort the energy market. They call on governments to, quote, kick away the carbon crutches, reveal the true impact to society of fossil fuels, and take into account the price we will pay in the future for relying on them. That's the global insurance industry saying that? Yes, it is. Those tree-hugging lefties at the global insurance industry? (laughs) Yes. Imagine that. And they also call for shifting nearly $500 billion a year in fossil fuel subsidies to building renewable and sustainable infrastructure instead. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, Lester, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. A lot of storms headed this way. <laughs> yes, there are. I don't know which is a worse name for a hurricane. Lester or Hermine? Yeah, and, and you know, just to point out that uh, Florida has not seen a hurricane in about 11 years. And so there are a lot of people there who have moved since then, moved into Florida since then, who probably have no idea what to expect. So that's the, because we didn't mention it in the Green News Report, but Hermine is the one that's headed towards Florida. So we got one yes. headed towards Florida. We got a, a two headed towards Hawaii. Uh, other than that, everything is going great. <laughs> Well, as I said, we're going to take a breather for a day or two for a long holiday weekend. Angie Coiro will be in with you uh, uh, for the next thrilling episode. Until then, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks to my guest today, Heather Digby Parton of Salon.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us as ever. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it at bradblog.com. Or going over to iTunes, where you can uh, subscribe and have it sent to your phone or your favorite mobile device for free anytime. Uh, and while you're over at iTunes, give us a good review. It makes it easier for everyone else to find us as well. Drop me email if you like anytime. I'd love to hear from you, though I may not check it for a few days if, if I'm lucky. My email address, bradcast at bradblog.com. Or find me on the Twitters or the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. Is that it, Desi? That's it. All right. I had stuff I wanted to get to, some follow-up, but you know what? They're gonna have to wait till after the holidays. Until then, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.